Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have a good martini, we have a crazy martini, and we have a champagne toast that is so significant it is going to take up the final martini today. And for those of you who have uh, followed the news over the past uh, day, you won't be surprised who it is. It's longtime humorist, satirist, columnist, author, PJ O'Rourke. There really was no one like him. And we'll get into all the reasons why a little bit later in our conversations today. And uh, Jim, let's start with the good martini. We love not only polls, but we love election results. And this is a very narrow look at where voters are. But this is where voters are in San Francisco. There were three different members of the San Francisco School Board recalled last night due to their insanity on a number of things. I have to assume uh, COVID policy is one of them. But also remember, they decided that even Abraham Lincoln wasn't woke enough to have a school named after him uh, a few months ago. But these three people, Allison Collins, Gabriela Lopez, and I'll probably mangle this name, but uh, Fauga Moliga, not just recalled Jim, all recalled with the people in favor of recall well over 70%. Uh, and so in a city like San Francisco, where you think would be the epicenter for wokeness, the parents and everybody else in town, at least the ones who bothered to show up and vote, are saying, you people are nuts and we don't want this anymore. We'll see if they get the message. Yeah, so... If you're right of center, there's a lot to cheer about this. And let's face it, you're not usually you know, used to seeing good news coming out of San Francisco. Um, we should not underestimate the degree to which keeping San Francisco public schools closed much longer than even the rest of the state and, and really other counties uh, not too far from there. We're reopening, having kids in classrooms. They were stuck in distance learning uh, really for more than a year uh, and then, of course, while the schools were still closed during the, you know, the George Floyd protests that turned into riots and this, you know, general uh, widespread festival of wokery across the entire country, that's when these groups decided, well, it's time to rename Abraham Lincoln uh, Public School. It's time to rename Diane Feinstein Public School. Not that you and I are huge fans of Diane Feinstein, and I have a question. I wonder whether whether you really want to have schools named after anybody who's still alive. Maybe this is an honorific that's best. Uh, left for those who have have passed away. But man, oh man, take those two extraordinarily unpopular stances and then throw on top of that um, this arrogant, combative, condescending, and just contemptuous attitude towards parents. Um, This is, you know, uh, it wasn't even close. It clearly was a sign that it's been fascinating to watch certain San Francisco allies of these uh, school board members say, oh, there's a lot of closet Republicans out there. It's San Francisco. (laughs) Closeted Republicans in, in, in San Francisco actually meet in a closet. That's how few of them there are. Um, really no reason. You know, this, this is that they are far, not just out of the mainstream. I think you could make the argument that the hard left of San Francisco, they're outside of the mainstream of the Democratic Party. And they alienated uh, parents of every single demographic, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, African Americans. Um, every single one of them felt failed by their public schools over these past two years. And I think it is a giant flashing sign. That, you know, yes, public schools in San Francisco reopened. That doesn't mean the parents aren't still pissed as hell about this. And I think that 
uh, it is another indicator that we're going to This is one more sign that it's not a red wave year. It's looking like a red tsunami. Because if you can get this kind of a reaction in San Francisco, just imagine how the parents feel in all those purple congressional districts and you know swing states this November. Yeah, my only concern here, Jim, is that they're getting a number of wake-up calls uh, from Virginia to this. And so I'm sure their messaging will be changing radically uh, between now and November. But uh, I, I think the, the memories, at least I hope the memories, will certainly be long on this. Uh, Chesa Budin, you know, the prosecutor there who uh, didn't want to prosecute crime, he's up for recall in June. I'm guessing he's going to put a little more money into his campaign budget uh, to fight the recall, but I'm not sure he's going to make it out either. I mean, uh, just the insanity, the c- complete vacation uh, from reality, uh, from the left, not only in San Francisco, but so many other places. Uh, the chickens are coming home to roost, and let's hope it happens on a, a national level as well. You know, there was just a poll from uh, Civics out yesterday looking at Joe Biden's approval numbers state by state. And I think he's only above water in four states, and that doesn't even include his home state of Delaware. Uh, they had uh, Biden's approval at 35%, disapproval at 56 uh, Independence. Uh, disapproved Biden 66 to 23. Whites disapprove 64 to 28. Blacks do approve 64 to 18. Hispanics evenly split at 44 to 44. But when he took office, he was above water 65 26. So uh, it's been basically a 40 point drop there. And then when you look at some of the key battleground states for Senate, uh, he's underwater 61 to 32 in Arizona, 58 to 32 in Georgia, uh, 56 to 36 in Pennsylvania, 55 37 in Wisconsin. Now, once you put actual people on the ballot, those numbers can certainly tighten. But if you're the Republican Party, you cannot ask for a better setup than that. In fact, Ray, I think there was one uh, internal Democratic memo that warned if they do not push back on these issues, if they, uh, if the people feel like the, the, they see the Republican message and they don't hear the Democratic message, any Democratic kind of argument, the environment in November will be R plus 14, which, uh, you know, which is Republicans with an average advantage in your typical swing district of 14 points. Wow. Uh, I, I think we run out of metaphor. That that stops being red tsunami, and that turns into red uh, extinction-level event asteroid <laughs> headed towards the Democratic incumbents. I was going to say, deep impact. Oh, man. Well, uh, we'll see how the Democrats respond to that. I feel like it's too late for them, but uh, they got a lot of time here. They got almost nine months to try and uh, snooker people here, but... Uh, They're going to need a lot of money to do it, Uh, but money is also something you really need to do when you are running your small business. Look, fortune favors the bold, the strong, I would say the smart, and the brave, and for your business to break out of anything holding you back, you're going to need business checking just as brave as you are, and that's why Novo is introducing Novo Business Checking. Novo is powerfully simple business checking, and unlike the traditional banking model, Novo has no minimum balances, no transaction limits, and no hidden fees. Instead of a one-size-fits-all approach, Novo is customized to your business to save you time and free up cash flow with seamless integrations to Stripe, Shopify, QuickBooks Online, and more. Sign up for Novo for free and join the community of more than 150,000 fearless small businesses who found the customizable business checking solution that admires their brave. Sign up for your free, that's free, business checking account right now at novo.co slash martini. 
Plus, Three Martini Lunch listeners get access to more than $5,000 in perks and discounts. Go to novo.co slash martini to sign up for free. Novo.co slash martini. Novo Platform Inc. is a fintech, not a bank. Banking services provided by Middlesex Federal Savings, FA, member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Well, Jim, as we heard in our spot, uh, businesses need to be smart with their money, and Novo can certainly help them with that. But all of us need to be smart with our money right now because of inflation and the skyrocketing price of so many things that are essential for us, including energy. And the issue came up to Jen Psaki at the uh, White House press briefing yesterday. And this is classic crazy martini fodder here because uh, when it comes to trying to distract people from how high prices are getting right now, Jen Psaki wants to take us down memory lane. Uh, in terms of the price of gasoline, what we've seen is we know back in December, uh, it went down by about 10 cents thanks to tapping the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, something where there are still releases that have been ongoing. The president said he wants to use all tools to keep gas prices down. Is, it, is he looking at temporary things to keep gas prices down should there be a Russian invasion? Or is there any consideration to reversing some of the policies and going back to increasing U.S. energy independence? Uh, I don't have anything to uh, detail for you, including in terms of what he is considering. And as you heard there at the end, Jim, they have absolutely no ideas uh, for ways to, even in the short term, uh, help to bring prices down for consumers. As you mentioned, if Russia does, in fact, invade Ukraine, they're going to go much, much higher. We know that uh, Senate Democrats are trying to push this suspension of the federal gas tax uh, through the end of the year. Uh, And of course, as you mentioned, when we talked about that just a few days ago, if they really thought it was too high, they should just lower it instead of uh, kind of a political gimmick like this. So uh, what do you make of uh, Jen Psaki not really having any good answers here? I was going to say, I think it was actually a little bit before then that Joe Biden was doing a CNN town call with... um, Anderson Cooper, and they asked him, and some of this issue brought up, and he said, look, I could, you know, release oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but that's only going to drop the price by about 18 cents. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's uh, you know, the general gist of what he was saying, which he at the time said, this is why I shouldn't do it. Sometime between then and November, he said, oh, I guess I'm going to have to do it. You know, people realize they're going to be doing a lot of traveling for Thanksgiving. People were really mad about gas prices. This was a way of looking like he was doing something. And uh, I think, you know, based on the national average, I think it went down about 11 cents. It didn't even meet that, you know, that 18 cent uh, decline that he was expecting. Look, when prices are a dollar, a dollar 50, you know, people people generally around $2, maybe 250, you know, once it starts getting close to three, people are like, wow, wow, it feels like it's really getting expensive. When it goes past three, then you're in trouble. And when it's, you know, it's been bouncing around 330 to 340, 350, as the national average, if you're in the West Coast, God help you, it's significantly more expensive than that. It is a, a you know, I, I check on this about once a week just because, like, you know, I'm feeling it when I fill up my gas tank. I suspect many uh, uh, listeners are, too. And this is the sort of, it's been found, you know, there are certain purchases that you don't sense inflation, certain purchases where you don't. I would say your grocery bill and your gas bill are two purchases you make. Yeah, once a week, once every two weeks for gas. Maybe you, maybe you buy gas more frequently than that. You buy groceries. You know, I'm hoping in your house once a week. In my house, it feels like we're going. You know, we 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 do our weekly run, and then we realize all the stuff we forgot and end up going several times during the week to uh, Trader Joe's or something. And you just you know what you're used to paying for a bag of groceries. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh my god, that thing that used to be three bucks is now four bucks, and that thing that was a dollar is now a dollar twenty five. And item by item, it adds up really fast. So. 
the idea that Americans are not going to notice this was always whistling, always whistling past the graveyard on this. And, you know, you, I could spend a lot of time on oil policy. It is worth noting that, yeah, it's not all because of the Biden administration. Some of this is an increase in demand because of the pandemic's waning effect on our lives. But also, you know, when the pandemic hit, Americans stopped driving everywhere because they were quarantined and all of a sudden demand crashed. Well, getting a oil uh, field online doesn't just happen overnight, right? And capacity and rigs and, and all the other supply chain issues we were having, all of none of that helps, right? But the thing, one, what is undeniable is that starting in January 2021, a new administration came into town and the oil industry knew under the Trump administration that maybe not on every last issue, but generally the Trump administration loved oil and gas production, loved seeing people uh, filling up their tanks at a low price. And generally the U.S. government was not going to be an obstacle to getting oil to where it needed to get, to get it refined, to get it into consumers' uh, hands so that people could drive around and enjoy their lives. Joe Biden comes in, the first thing he does is shuts down the Keystone Pipeline. Now, it's not that the Keystone Pipeline in and of itself is why you have high gas prices right now. But it was a key indicator, right? This was a sign that, you know, of, of this is what the priority of the administration is. We want Americans moving on to electric cars. We don't like the oil industry. We don't like people filling up their gas. We think this is polluting the planet. It's bad for climate change. You can even find Democrats who openly say, yeah, high gas prices are a good idea. All Those high Democrats stop saying that because it's election year. But by and large, if you hate climate change, you're perfectly fine with uh, high gas prices because it means people drive less. Unfortunately, Americans can feel this in their bones. So this, this, this contradiction at the heart of the Biden administration's policy. They want to reduce carbon emissions, but they're begging OPEC to pump more gas. Oh, by the way, as I noted in the corner yesterday, 2021, our imports of oil from Russia were the highest in a decade. In some of those months, it was more than 21 million barrels. Why on earth? Wait, I thought we were trying to fight Russia. I thought we were trying to punish Vladimir Putin. Why are we putting more money into his pocket when we're trying to stop this guy from moving his troops into Ukraine? It makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And so the, the, the Biden administration has kind of tied itself into knots. It has this desire. We want people to use less oil, gas and less oil because it's bad for the environment. We don't like oil companies. The environmentalists don't like it ever. We don't want to do any more leasing on public lands. We don't want to build more pipelines. We don't want to build the Keystone Pipeline. But at the same time, we hate, you know, we, we realize that the voters have high gas prices, they get really mad at us. So what are we going to do? Ah, well, we're going to release money from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. We saw how much that did. And now the hot topic of Capitol Hills, let's get rid of the federal gas tax right up until Election Day. <laughs> Man, have you ever seen a more transparent, look, our policies stink and people hate us, but we'll give you a temporary rebate on what you're, we make you pay us because we don't want you to hate us and we want to get reelected. It is unbelievably transparent. I think the simplest, easiest is, now get rid of these guys, put new people in, in office who don't hate you for filling up your, your gas in your car for less than 40 bucks a pop. Yeah, the, the political transparency is, is sickening. And the fact that they don't want nuclear, they don't want natural gas, which uh, burn way cleaner than, than coal and oil, which are being produced much cleaner than they were before. And so they just can't accept reality that, uh, you know, their renewable supposedly uh, uh, forms of energy just can't meet the demand at a uh, consistent level and at a good price. But uh, we're going to have to let them keep pretending apparently for the next couple of years and all of us are going to suffer for it. Uh, by the way, Jim, uh, remember before schools became the big issue in Virginia, Glenn Youngkin's big issue was repealing the grocery tax, which seemed like kind of a petty issue before inflation really went going. Now he seems like a genius with those as his first two legislative priorities. I was going to say, now all of a sudden, I'm not, I'd still, by the way, would love to see Virginia get out of running the ABC stores. 
You know, it's sure. very ridiculous. The one thing the District of Columbia does better than Virginia is sell booze. It's kind of kind of an embarrassment. <laughs> uh, excellent. But I'll take it. I'll take it. And it looks like it's going to pass. I think there's uh, a lot of uh, uh, support for that. And right now, who can blame Republicans or Democrats in Richmond for wanting to get behind that? Anyway, uh, let's talk about the wonderful things you can get from my pillow. Get a fantastic night's sleep. And right now, you can also get a great deal. Right now, when you go to MyPillow.com, click on the My Listeners page and enter the promo code MARTINI. More than 20 deals for you to choose from. My Pillows, you can get those as low as $19.98. The My Slippers are 50% off. The My Pillow Towel Sets are at their lowest price ever at $39.99. 60% off any Giza Dream Sheet set with a price as low as $39.99. And if you order with our promo code MARTINI, you'll get Mike Lindell's free book. Dear listeners, so far this week, I've told you about the Giza Dream Sheets, and I've told you about the My Slippers. And if you missed them, go back and listen to those episodes too. <laughs> but today, I'm going to tell you about the towel sets, which include two bath towels, two hand towels, and a two-pack washcloth. These towels are highly absorbent without that lotiony feel. They're available in multiple styles and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 10-year warranty. You will find all of these offers and more at MyPillow.com. Hey, click the radio listener square. Don't forget that part. Use the promo code MARTINI at checkout or call 800-874-0104. Right now, every order using the promo code MARTINI, you'll also receive Mike's new book, What Are the Odds? From Crack Addict to CEO, and you'll get that for free. MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. Don't forget the code MARTINI for your free book. All right, Jim, longtime listeners to the Three Martini Lunch will know that uh, whenever there's a uh, prominent figure who passes away that we want to talk about at some length, we offer a champagne toast. Usually it's after uh, the Three Martinis, but uh, sometimes they're so significant they need to be the martini or the champagne toast, or in this case, maybe a glass of scotch or a bottle of scotch, depending on exactly what a mood he was in. PJ O'Rourke, uh, you know, there's... People in journalism seem to be kind of monolithic these days, at least in a lot of places. P.J. O'Rourke always stood out because he just never fit any mold, and there was there was no one like him. Uh, came up through National Lampoon and Rolling Stone, very iconoclastic, never really lost that edge to him. But he went from you know an anti-war guy to kind of a libertarian conservative guy. Um, you wrote about him at length today in the Morning Jolt. I had the chance to speak with him once. I interviewed him on a book he wrote about the baby boom back in 2014. And uh, just a delightful guy. You know, you'd think from reading some of his stuff that he'd be a curmudgeon. He's just a genuinely really nice guy. I just want to read a couple of things uh, that he said in that interview. First of all, he says, I put the date on when we took charge, meaning the baby boom generation, when Animal House was released in 1978. And if you look in Congress today, it's pretty much full of Senator Blutarskis. The greatest skill, he said, of the baby boom generation is their ability to BS their way through just about anything. And he says, when you're convinced you know everything, it lends an extra power to your BS. Without making any political aspersions or judgments here, I think that the most baby boom of our three baby boom presidents clearly had to be Bill Clinton, who really had the BS thing figured out. If you're looking at the political deadlock in Washington, what you're really looking at is the baby boom generation and political power, and we would much rather yell at each other than do something. So uh, he saw it more clearly than just about everybody else. Oh, man. You know, Greg, uh, I wouldn't say P.J. O'Rourke is the single most influential writer in my life, but he might be top five. He might be top 10. He's up there. And and what I wrote about today was this really unique position. He almost was a unicorn, you could say. 
in that he was indisputably, certainly by the time he was was writing for a national audience in the late seventies and into the eighties, he he was conservative or you know at minimum libertarian, you know, variety of conservative. Um, but he wrote, he eventually wrote for the Weekly Standard and, and places like that. But by and large, he was writing for big mainstream institutions. And some of it was was international travel. He wrote for Car and Driver, but he wrote for you know Rolling Stone, most most famously and notably. But you know Vanity Fair, Home House and Garden, uh, Men's Journal, The Atlantic, Playboy. He wrote for big institute media institutions that were not conservative. Uh, he was a commentator for sixty minutes for a stretch. He appeared on the Tonight Show. Uh, ABC Radio sent him to cover the Persian Gulf War, and. None of the you know, it's none of these institutions were conservative, and none of them said, "Well, we got to have a conservative, so I guess we might as well pick Peter." All of them picked him because he was just that good. He was just that funny. He was just that insightful. Like there was a lot. Uh, it's it, he was around around the same generation. You can see kind of this cross pollination of another one of my favorite writers, Dave Barry. But yeah. Dave Barry was kind of like this, this this general goofiness and the absurdity of life, right? PJ O'Rourke had a lot of that, but with a point. And generally that point was, you know, one, you shouldn't trust the government. A deep-rooted, you know, conservative libertarian message. And all of these people who say they're here to help you, one, they don't really want to help you. And two, they're kind of incompetent themselves. They are in it for themselves. And it is this, you know, just, just jarring message. And one of the things that I kind of... Uh, I, I think there's a, I, I was, if I don't mind patting myself on my back, I like this contrast of PJ or work punched up. I, you know, I, if there, maybe there's some where he's making fun of some, you know, schmuck somewhere in, in, you know, middle America or something like that. But by and large, you know, PJ or work, if he was writing about you and calling you an idiot, chances are you were a celebrity. You're probably an elected official. Uh, you might've been a, a Saudi Royal or, uh, you, you you were a powerful person. P.J. O'Rourke did not find some obscure nobody and try to get everybody else to laugh at him, unlike, say, John Stewart sometimes. You know, P.J. O'Rourke really didn't, you know, in the end, his, his you know, the P.J. O'Rourke worldview is most of the people who are powerful are, you know, despite what they say, they're not out to help you. They're out to help themselves. Maybe they'll help you as a side effect of what they want to do, but by and large, you know, government wants money and power. And as he famously said, giving money and power to the government is like giving whiskey and car keys to the teenagers and just hoping for the best. Um, and, and so you want to talk about, you know, what I've strove to be in my career and all that stuff. You know, I, I want to be that good as PGO work. I'm not saying I have done that. I'm just saying that's the goal I've set. That's the that's the beacon there. And he was so good that even the progressives and liberals and folks in mainstream media were like, uh, we, we got to run that. It's just too good. It, it's too, yeah, it's fair. Fair hit. He could be really funny. He could be really ribbled, but it was never anything where it was like, oh my God, that's so tasteless. Um, just this, he always had this tone of this. You felt like you were here listening to a really bright, really sharp-witted, funny neighbor. But for all, for all that talent, God, he never had much of an ego, as you mentioned. He, he never talked about himself. He's usually the first person to make fun of himself as this, you know, uh, what do I know kind of, of tone to this and all that stuff. But in fact, if you listen to him, you'll get his life. There was also this fascinating story of a guy who was a hippie, was this, you know, hard left, you know, anti-war voice. Um, as I, I wrote in the Joel, I quoted his uh, preface to Give War a Chance, where he's, he wrote or dedicated the book to the person who went to Vietnam because he didn't. He says, it would, you know, time for him to go to the draft. He went in with a five-page essay. He said, four pages of it were a list of drugs that I have done. 
And the recruiter yelled at him and basically gave him an exemption saying, you know, basically recognizing that PG work was not going to be any good to any, any use to anybody in uniform. And he wrote, writes in the dedication, I hope you got back in one piece, fellow. I hope you were more used to your platoon mates than I would have been. I hope you're rich and happy now. And in 1971, when somebody punched me in the face for being a long-haired peace creep, I hope that was you, end quote. I mean, he he turned against his old self with a vengeance. And I don't know whether that like bought him a certain amount of credibility with the left or goodwill with the left or i think it, the idea he understood the left in certain ways that i think other conservatives don't i you know nothing wrong with you if you were listening to rush limbaugh from an early age or anything like that and you've always been on one side of the aisle but i think pj work could see through the illusions of the left because he had once been one of them and once bought into it and the scales fell from his eyes um also in his later years he had he became a father late in life uh and and you know had small kids and man, oh man, you know, you, you can see the glories of domestic life. His, his you know, essay about being an Irish setter dad as opposed to being a tiger mom, I thought was hilarious. And, you know, uh, once again, you know, very reflective of certain things in the Garrity household. The news of his death felt like a gut punch. You began to realize you hadn't heard from him much lately. And he was getting up there in years. So on the one hand, it shouldn't have been a shock, but it does feel like a shock. And there won't be another PJ work. Some of that is because he was just so phenomenally talented. But also, I think PJ work. Like I, I ran across an essay yesterday which said, argued PJ work for all of his humor never really hurt the left. Mm. I think the fact that they never let anybody else step into his shoes was an indicator that they knew he was hurting the left. Um, if the left didn't fear him, you see a lot more folks like PJ work around here, and you don't see any any token conservative funny voices at Vanity Fair. Or, uh, or even the Atlantic, you know, with their, you know, terrified of COVID and Kevin Williamson ever since 2018. That's that's certainly true. Uh, yeah, if you want to go to Jim's uh, morning jolt today, hopefully you've already read it. But if you haven't, uh, Jim uh, includes a couple of paragraphs there on, on PJ Work's definition of liberalism, which I highly, uh, highly recommend. Uh, also, uh, it it was a little bit maddening and a little bit uh, fun yesterday uh, as the news broke. Some people found that some other person named PJ O'Rourke died late last year at the age of 90, and so they thought that this wasn't actually true. Unfortunately, of course, it turned out to be true. But uh, some folks actually found the humor in it and thinking, who would enjoy uh, confusion and people <laughs> wondering whether it's actually gone more than PJ O'Rourke? Unfortunately, uh, he didn't actually get to enjoy the moment, but uh, he gave us so many that we could. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of like when the news of Andy Kaufman had died. You know, lots of people were like, oh, at some point in a week, he's going to come out, you know. But unfortunately, that is not the case. And uh, like I said, PG work will be very, very missed. I doubt there'll ever be anyone who's quite like him. Wow, absolutely. Well, raise your glass of scotch or whatever you've got to PJ O'Rourke, uh, a talent like none other. So, uh, Jim, uh, glad we took the time to remember him today. Certainly worthy of it. And uh, we'll be back with three more martinis tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for uh, being with us today. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Uh, follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion... There are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. 
Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thank you.